0: Hi everybody, this is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, uh, Texas on Thursday, January the 18th, and welcome to our commentary. Just a couple of quick stories that were in the news here in the last uh, couple of hours. Fannie Hill, you know, the district attorney Fannie Hill down in in Georgia is apparently going to have a court date. Uh, She's in trouble, or at least the allegations are that she was having this uh, affair with one of the guys she was, one of the guys working for her in in the Trump investigation, but that's not the bad part. The part bad part is that there may have been mishandling of public money. That's really the problem. Uh, you know, the, the marital problem, well, you know, that's going to happen with people. But the mishandling of public funds, that could really be a huge, uh, huge case. So keep an eye on on that uh, district attorney, Fannie Hill, down in Georgia. That could turn into a big blow up for that entire for that entire case and the other story too that has been out there in the news here very recently is the Hunter laptop. Remember the Hunter Biden laptop back in I think it was October 2020 when the New York Post uh, posted that article, and uh, you know the article was not allowed to be distributed in some of the social media services, and 51 so-called experts signed a letter saying that the laptop story had all the you know all the all the makings of a Russian disinformation story. Well, apparently now they're saying no, there was no Russian disinformation. The laptop and whatever was in it uh, is correct. Now, of course, we're not going to get to do uh, that second debate between Trump and Biden. That was critical. The, the the fact that that President or then candidate Biden could fall back on that story about the fifty one experts who had signed that letter saying that the laptop was Russian disinformation that was huge. Because Trump was moving in uh, on that particular story. He couldn't because of the way it was covered. So a couple of examples there. A couple of examples there of, of some big stories that I think could you could be hearing about uh, over the next uh, few weeks. Here in Texas, a judge has ruled, a federal judge has ruled, that Texas can keep those barriers on the river. You may be familiar. They're called buoys. That's what they're called, I guess. And there are these big orange barriers that uh, tr- Texas put on the on the river uh, to discourage people from swimming. It's kind of hard to get over those uh, those barriers if you're coming in by river. Well, and by the way, we know what can happen with people who try to swim that river. We just had a case uh, a couple of days ago of a woman and two kids who drowned uh, trying to get over on the river. So it's not a final victory in this uh, story about the barriers. Uh, It's going to be looked at again in May, but between now and May, uh, Texas can keep these barriers. And, you know, I'm beginning to get very optimistic about these lawsuits between uh, Texas and the Department of Justice because I think what these justices are saying is, hey, whatever Texas is doing, they can keep on doing it. They're not violating the Constitution. And I think the big story about all of this, what is really fascinating to me is that, Texas is not challenging uh, the fact that the federal government has the primary role on, on the border. What they're saying is the federal government is not doing its job. And as a consequence of that, we have to take extraordinary actions like this uh, this particular action. So, you know, this is good for Texas. It is, again, a short-term victory. It's not a final victory. They're going to be coming back to this in May and issuing some kind of a ruling uh, in the month of May. But the reality is the reality is that uh, the barriers are going to stay up. Now, that's going to upset, of course, uh, the immigration activists. It's probably going to upset Mexico. But you know what? Uh, the activists and Mexico don't really have any solutions for the problem. And Texas has to deal with the consequences of the fact that the federal government has decided not to do anything uh, about this problem. So I think it's a big victory. It's a big victory for Texas. Even though I repeat, it's a short-term victory. We may have it all reversed uh, in a few months in May, but for the time being, the barriers are are going to be staying up. And I think that's uh, that's good. That's good for uh, for Texas. There was a um, a big story today here in Texas about uh, somebody wrote a report. I think it was the federal government who wrote a report about the Uvalde shooting uh, a couple of years ago. You may remember the Uvalde shooting when somebody walked into that school in Uvalde, Texas and killed a a bunch of uh, children. Well, that report basically, you know, they really go after the police and the performance of the police. They go after security at the school. I mean, it's a devastating report. And it doesn't really add anything new. I mean, I I certainly didn't hear anything today that was new. Maybe they went into more details as to how the police could have been better. But I don't, honestly, I didn't hear anything today that I didn't already know. I mean, I think what we saw in Uvalde, Texas, every possible thing went the wrong way. And the consequence, of course, is that these kids were killed. Uh, The young man who had this gun should have never been able to get a gun. But the problem is, the reason he was able to get a gun is because there was nothing in his record about his reckless behavior. Now, you would think that the, the way this kid used to behave publicly, the the way that he used to behave in school, uh, you you would think that somebody would have alerted the police and say, hey, we got a problem here with this kid. But that didn't happen. So the kid didn't have anything on his record. Therefore, uh, he was able to, to get the gun. I'm not exactly sure how he got the gun, whether he bought it in Uvalde or somewhere else. But the fact that he had nothing in his record, he was 18 years old. So therefore, he could uh, buy a gun like a lot of other uh, young people do, who obviously don't use it to kill uh, little children. So that was the first mistake. The second mistake was the fact that he was able to get into the school. And he got into the school because the door was open. Now, that that is unbelievable. That door was open. That's how he was able to get in. Had he not been able to get into the school, he would have never, there would have never been the kind of mass shooting that we saw. Now, maybe he would have left and done it some other day or done it some other place. You, you never know. You're dealing with a sick mind. But the reality is that he would have never been able to go into into that school that day. and of course, the last uh, straw here was the way the police uh, behaved and their just total lack of coordination, total lack of leadership. and that of course was very painful for some of the families today who had to see this press conference and had to relive this horrible moment uh, when those little children uh, were killed. I mean, so nothing new in the report but certainly more confirmation that we have got to do something about make sure the police knows what they're doing, make sure that the schools are closed so nobody can walk in like this uh, young man did. And last but not least, we got to keep a better eye and, and better. We got to be better at identifying young men like this guy. I mean, this kid was crazy. I mean, he was acting for, for months and for years he had acted crazy and how nobody picked up on that at the school or he nothing was submitted to the police, nothing was put in the background record. Well, that cannot happen because that's how they get the guns. The same thing happened in Buffalo where a young man was able to get a gun, even though the police, he had had conversations with the police, but nothing had been updated. The same thing in Chicago where there was that other shooting, uh, the same thing. The kid had problems, but nobody took the time to do a background or create uh, information for the background check. The same thing down in Parkland in Florida. Where the kid was a problem, everybody knew the kid was a problem, but nothing was done to update background checks so that he couldn't uh, he couldn't get a gun. So that's something we got to work on. We have to be able to identify these young people to make sure that they don't do stuff like this. Because once they get in the school with a gun, once they get into school with a gun, you know odds are very high that they're going to kill a bunch of people, as happened in in Uvalde and, and in other places. So nothing new in the report, really. Nothing new in the report other than just reliving that terrible day. And that was a terrible day for any of us uh, living here in in the Texas area. Well, on this day in history, back in 1976, the Dallas Cowboys and the Pittsburgh Steelers were in the Super Bowl. This was Super Bowl number 10. Uh, The Steelers beat the Cowboys. I think it was 21-10. I think it was the final score. Uh, It was just a great game. It, It was one of the two. They had two games in the 1970s, two Super Bowls, between Dallas and Pittsburgh. And Pittsburgh won both of them. They won number 13 in 1979, and they won number 10 on this day in 1976. But two great teams, two great coaches. And I've always asked myself if the Cowboys had beaten the Steelers in one, perhaps two of those games, I'm pretty sure we'd be calling the Cowboys the team of the decade rather than the Steelers. So it really literally came down to those two Super Bowls to decide who was going to be the team of the of the 70s two great co- coaches chuck knoll and tom landry just great great stories uh both of them and they just it just brings back a lot of memories to see all these references today on the internet about this game super bowl 10 thank you for listening this is uh, silvio canto in dallas and we'll talk to you later bye bye everybody